0: And says, Now from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up again on the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And he turned unto him and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This morning I want to preach as simple as I can preach, yet hopefully reach even my own soul on what it means to be a child of God. And with a simple title I want to preach, Dead Man Walking. Dead Man Walking. If you'd put your Bibles down and if you'd pray with me that God would have his way in me and in us today. Lord, we thank you. God, I'm truly just a humble servant, Lord, willing to be used of you. God, I pray your hand in us today. I pray, Lord, that your will would be in us today. God, I pray your word and your anointing would fall on us, Lord. To every guest, Lord, every visitor, God, I pray that you would begin to move and stir up their lives, God. I pray that you'd begin to just wrap your arms around those that might need love today, God. Let your presence be ever so tangible. Have your way in this place, we pray today. In Jesus' name, and the church said amen, amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, dead man walking. You may be seated. I too want to echo my pastor in welcoming all of you here, and I want to say a special thanks to a couple guys that helped us out in the sound today. Brother Isaac, Brother Cameron, thank you all so much. I know this church owes a debt to those men. And it's always good to see some faces come home, I guess. That's how I look at it anyway. But I'm I'm thankful for those young guys. I'm very proud of what God's doing in their life and and how he's working in them. Amen. Love you guys. Almost 2,000 years ago to the exact day, Jesus was preparing for this moment. He performed miracle after miracle. They recorded 40 of them. John writes it like this, and there were so many more things which Jesus did, the which, if they could be written, everyone, I suppose, that even the world itself couldn't contain the books that should have been written. The Lord was on our earth for what we believe to be 33 and a half years, and, and yet this day means a lot. I tried to look up on the calendar what happened before Palm Sunday. Next week's Palm Sunday, do you realize that? It's spring. happens fast, doesn't it? But what happened right before, because we all know about the donkey that he rode on when they came in and them waving flags and saying, Hosanna. But where was the mind of Jesus right before that? Three and a half years of ministering and providing a new concept to God and, 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 and further fulfilling 400 prophecies in three and a half years. Every miracle with the knowledge that death was the answer. Every prophecy being fulfilled knowing I'm going to die for this. I can't imagine what he must have went through. For some of us, death seems to be scary enough, right? And all we have to do is one day give up our last breath. I couldn't imagine being beaten, thrown, and cast for your clothes and put on a cross where your hands, uh, your your carpal tunnel just nailed through and and to be hung there to die, suffering, anguished, dying your last breath. This was the quiet time between seasons. Jesus' time of teaching and performing miracles was coming to a close, and the season of ushering in this period of grace was about to start. I think it's powerful when I think of what he had to go through for us to be saved. He had it all made. He was there three and a half years, 12 dudes completely in awe of everything he did. Crowds multiplying and following him, he'd he'd preach on the hillside and then they'd bring him some fish and some breads, and he'd say, okay, let's let's make some lunch. He'd pass it out to everyone and then they'd gather up 12 full baskets and bring it back. Could you imagine that period of, of being the man that's on top, the one that's the top of the mountain? You know who you are and yet you're preparing for a new season. For grace to ever hit our earth, he had to get himself ready for death. In prisons all across America, this phrase has been uttered. Every time there was an inmate that was to be condemned and was taken from their cell to either a medical facility or, or maybe even to that death row, their, their destination, the officers would say, dead man walking. Other inmates would come and they would be told to face the wall, get out of the way, this man is condemned. They wouldn't look him in the face It was a fearful time for that man, the condemned man. It's a time to to make things right if possible or to know that your days are numbered and the the pleading that must happen for a man that knew his last day was coming soon. When we look at our world and we know even in our state that we we do capital punishment, whether right or wrong, and I, I thank God I'm not the one making those decisions. I don't want people to die like that. I want God to save us. But in those moments to be there, to have your days numbered, I couldn't imagine uh, living every day, waking up, knowing I'm a condemned man. I'd be on the phone as often as I could, I'm sure, calling a lawyer, what have you done today? What have you done today? How can you get me off this? How can you get me out? And and even Jesus, when he found himself at that garden of Gethsemane, it says he prayed and he sweat tears as of blood as unto death because he knew that his days were numbered He pleaded with God, let this cup pass from me if possible, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine. The difference with the gospel is only Jesus knew he was a dead man walking. When we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those disciples didn't understand it until we get to Matthew 21. They didn't understand, what are you talking about? Even Peter thought, you're crazy, this won't happen, we won't let this happen, we can't allow this to happen. The question today would be, how would you react? What would you do if you knew your last day was soon? We live in a year of COVID. Have you all gotten over it already? I mean the fear. Not the disease, but the fear. Because some of us have been so afraid of death that we can't live. Some of us have spent our lives so worried about tomorrow and and your last breath that you forgot to live. When Jesus was at this moment, he didn't run from it. He never once backed away from it. The Bible says that he prepared himself and knew and told them, I'm going to Jerusalem. Can't imagine without chains being attached to him, he drug himself to a place where he was to change the world to grace. He turned water into, his, into wine. I, I think it's fascinating when I look at how Jesus dealt with, with miracles and with his time. I, I see where time and time again, they say about ten times where he talks about time. And the very first miracle he was to perform was water into wine. And he looked at his mother and he said, woman, what has this to do with me? My time has not yet come. He was conscious about time. He knew when his time was coming near, he was a dead man walking. I'll get to a point, I promise soon, I never planned to preach long, so if you'll bear with me, he he had this time, he knew it was there for time and purpose. Uh, his fleshly decisions diverted the plan, but uh, he would make adjustments, he would keep going, his time mattered. When somebody would come up at the wrong time and he felt like it was it was delaying him, God, Jesus manifest in the flesh would Take the time to deal with the issue. But it never stopped him from what he was supposed to do. If we would get in our lives or we would understand where God isn't interested in the delays or, or the excuses or the circumstances, but if we could get to a place where we are to be about his business. I must be who my father called me to be. We just read that Jesus with 12 of his closest friends his followers his, his brothers in the fight said I must go to Jerusalem I must suffer many things from the elders and chief priest and scribes imagine walking to your death and you're being put to death by the people that you have blessed in our lives we live hoping we don't have to deal with everything I don't know about you but I'm an avoider anybody else avoid conflict anybody run to it <laughs> I saw one hand and we'll leave the name anonymous for the grace of God. (laughs) I don't like conflict. I'm in ministry. If you don't realize what that means, it means people are going to find you. They're going to come ask you, what did you say to my kid? And it's the biggest fight that you've ever seen. And I'm standing there just hoping that Goliath will just have mercy as I find myself with five stones maybe, and and a slingshot, just hoping and praying, we don't have to go to blows. I don't like conflict. I avoid it. Some people run to it, but regardless, we all find a way to deal with the situation. Some of you might avoid situation. Some of you might take grenades to it and just go blow it up so it can be done. But the dead man walking took a different approach. Peter said, I'm not going to let this happen. They will never take you. And Jesus responded, a man that didn't go looking for the fight but had no problem showing up to it. And he simply said, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You see, I serve a God who doesn't run from his date of execution. He knew his date, and he kept his plans. And the Bible says that he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that uh, he had a date, he knew the price And it was to be paid in full. A lot of you have already been baptized. Maybe you've gotten the Holy Ghost. You've repented. But I want to take a moment just to break it down for us for just a second. Because this part of Scripture blows my mind. We live in time and space, right? We don't ever really go back. It's funny that uh, the older we get, the wiser we get. But it's really the younger one that teaches the older one how to act. Because we only go one way. And so it was the five-year-old me that taught me how to tie my shoes. It was the three-year-old me that taught me how to brush my teeth. And as the older we get, it's like we learn from the younger age and, and we move forward. But the Bible says that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, he knew that man was going to mess up and sin. And he had to fix it at some point. And so he knew that before he ever started, he had to make room for a lamb. He had to set a time and appointment for execution. It's very powerful when you think about that. Nobody likes the word execution. We like to think of you laying down a life on a cross. But how much was God put to death in flesh for our sins? He was slain from the foundation of the world and and it was always a lamb. When you look at the Old Testament, it was always a lamb that they would come, and, and it would be a spotless lamb, like less than three or two years old. And it had to be perfect, and it was set aside. And when that moment would come, they would put it on the altar. They would already have skinned it. They don't burn the skin or whatever, but they would find a way to give a mercy killing and calm the lamb down and, and cut the throat and, and drain the blood specifically. They had ritual to deal with sin. They would take that, and that sin would be rolled back for a year. And then when you slayed the next lamb, you had to remember, yeah, that's because I messed up. Man, I thought that was taken care of. I thought that was, that should have been dealt with. But no, that, that lamb represents this sin. It represents the time that I was hooked on drugs. It represents the time I, 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 I was a liar and a cheater and a thief. And, and I wasn't very good to my wife or my husband. It, it, it represents that again. Man, next year I'm going to deal with that again. I'll never get away from that sin. But Jesus knew there's a lamb that's going to be slain. From the foundation that one day will give grace. I think it's so powerful. The priest would have to walk in and they'd take the blood of that lamb and they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The holiest of holies, but the priest had robes and garments and they'd have breastplates and and different things that they would wear and the Bible says they'd have to take off all of that gear to where they were just in a sheet of linen. You know why? Because we serve a jealous God. And even he didn't want somebody else wearing the wool into the Holy of Holies. God didn't want somebody else to be mistaken for the lamb because he knew one day I'm going to have to sit on that throne. It's going to be my blood that will be spilled out for all mankind. And now when we get to life, we don't have to go through that waiting and sacrificing animals. Thank God. We just have an advocate of one that will stand there and sit on the phone and say, Lord, please take this away from me. And he's the one that will say, I'll go talk to the judge who happens to be himself. And the sin is far as the east is from the west. That's repentance. It will will be forgiven and then we go get baptized which will take it all away. I thank God for that plan of salvation. It's better than sacrificing animals. He demanded that we weren't confused about who wore the wool who was the lamb who was the one that would ultimately pay the pi- price so i again ask you what did jesus do this all jealous god became that sacrifice for us they used to have to kill and push it back now we can go and just take our sins before the lord we have this place in our church called an altar it's for that very purpose in the tabernacle, they had altars too, and it was for a similar purpose, but it was for real sacrificial of, of, of animals, and they would sacrifice and, and burn them up and consume them for God. But this is an altar where we sacrifice the heart a little bit, and we, we will cut it and allow that to bleed emotionally and, and, and mentally and, and not physically, but it, it's more of a, a moment to ask God to take it all away. And so the question might be, well, why did he have to die? It was a price. Sin has a price tag. Can the church say amen? The only equalizer to this price was if there was a dead man that was willing to walk to the gallows for me. The life of a king, the great advocate to death, hell, and the grave. The Bible says in Revelations 118, it says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He died so that he might spare us from hell. That's the reason we are able to live freely today. It's a reason we can come and worship and know that God is in control of all things. I don't know where some of you are. Some of you might have things in your future that you're going to have to face and you know about it. The thought of going before a judge or, or dealing with a relationship or, or messing with a boss or losing a job, that, that might lie in your future. But you're going to have to make up your mind now that that might, that might hurt my flesh. But my soul can be forever protected because he paid for that price. I might have to go through some things here on earth, but he paid the ultimate price. He went to hell. Do you ever think Satan wanted him to come and take his keys? Who would have thought that was going to happen? He's the one that wanted him to die, but did he realize you're coming for my keys? He went to hell for you. Do you realize that Jesus didn't just die? The Bible says he went and got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He went there and grabbed the keys for you. He's done it so we don't have to. He's The dead man walking. The only way we could avoid hell was with him and and his mind being made up. I must go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew all things and he knew what was going to await him. He could have easily said, Hey, guys, time for a trip to Antioch. How's Alexandria this time of year? I heard it's nice. But he had a date and a time, he had a mark on himself that he placed there for the purpose of grace. How awesome is the God we serve. How many of us are avoiding death of the flesh because many will notice that you've changed. When we go to work, we'll we'll notice that uh, there's times where we might have changed our life. And uh, let me say it a little bit better, if I possibly could, that um, when you get to that point, and some that are new to to this or new to this life, there's such a, a desire Such an issue where you might think that um, I'm not going to be different around my co-workers, and I won't be different for the fear fact that I might have to deal with that. And somebody might notice that I'm different, somebody might begin to say, Well, that's you're not the same. And so a lot of us might not pray over our food at lunch. Hello, it's a simple thing sometimes. We won't pray over certain things. We won't deal with certain things. And, and at the end of it all, we'll, we'll wonder why we have to go through what we're going through and, and, and why do we have to live this so outwardly. But Jesus' desire for us is that we would show his light through us. His desire is that we would be something different and, and we don't have to end up dead because he already did it for us. Imagine Jonah. If you've never read the book of Jonah, it's like four chapters. It's kind of deep and kind of funny. Everybody knows about Jonah and the big fish. But when I get to the reason of why Jonah said no, it strikes me so, uh, so directly. Think of it. The Bible says that God told Jonah to go down to Nineveh and deal with those people. Jonah said, no, I'm not going to do that. And then the story goes on chapter after chapter. He's whining to God because he knew if I go down there and if I tell them, what you want me to tell them, that they're going to be destroyed, they're going to repent, and you're going to forgive them. And Jonah knew that when that happened, he would then be considered a false prophet, which then meant his career and his job was over, all because he wanted to make a point. In our daily lives, we get that point to where we don't know what to do with what God has given us to do. We're so fearful to make a comment about God and we'll try to separate that, well, that's, that's, that's work and this is church. And we try not to live too churchy at, at work and we try not to live too worldly at church. <laughs> and so we find ourselves almost being double-minded because they don't know who I am. This church doesn't know who I used to be, and we find ourselves teetering and tottering and who I am, and, well, now I'm at church, I better talk right. Maybe I should say less so I don't cuss. But at work, you're thinking, well, maybe I should talk less so I don't talk about church. We find ourselves to where we're no longer here for the right reason, but we're finding ourselves uh, dead men walking instead of living because of him. Don't take this life seriously enough sometimes that if we don't, we can be labeled a dead man walking like he was. Peter was still trying to cut off the soldier's ear at the very end, saying, don't take Jesus. Peter didn't understand. He didn't get it. But even then, Jesus performed the last miracle as a man, and he slapped the ear back on the soldier and healed him. And he said, Peter, stop. You know, Put the sword up. Don't do this. I'm going to go with him. And, and he walked away knowing, I am a dead man walking. He healed one more time and then he went back to his job. He went back to his purpose. I am a dead man walking. The last thing I want to ask you today is what was it for? What purpose did it serve? Why did he die for you? Do you know he did it for you? Are you a dead man now? I want to read it. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 6. It says it like this. And you he made alive. Hello. And you he made alive. Who were dead in trespassing and sins. In which you once walked according to the curse of this world. According to the principalities of the air. The spirit who now works in the son of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love. In which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses. He made us live again together with Christ. By his grace. You have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. If he didn't take on that robe, that job, that description that says, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be put to death by my elders, by the chief priest, and by the scribes. The ones who wrote the word, the ones who preached the word, and the ones who propagated the word. I'm going to those, the ones that kept the word, and I'm going to allow them to persecute me. How powerful that thought is that those men he allowed to put him to death so that when we get to this book of Ephesians, we can see where it says that he loved us even when we were dead with trespasses and he made us alive together with Christ. You see, God didn't just leave you dead. He didn't put that sentence on you, but he took it on himself so that one day we might have life and that more abundantly, that one day we might have heaven, that we might know his throne. That's who God is to us. No, I'm not dead. I'm not supposed to have a death sentence. I am alive. Won't you say that with me? I am alive. I don't have a death sentence. The devil might be trying to shout it over your life, dead man walking. The devil might be trying to say every time you wake up, every time you slip up and have a mistake, or you see it in your family, you see it in a brother or sister, and you're thinking, man, that's, that's a generational curse. If it happened with them, it'll happen with me. We're related. This is the way it goes. And, and you'll feel that voice, that dead man walking. You can't get out of it. But God did something different. He gave grace that you don't have to live the way your family might have lived. He gave us grace that you don't have to just go down the road like they did. We don't have to be Jews. He made it so that we might know Him and know His grace. Colossians 2 11 through 15, it talks about it. It says, in him you were circumcised with a circumcision without hands by putting off the body of sins and of flesh. And it talks about that circumcision, but when you get towards the bottom, it says that he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which is contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers, having made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He took your sins to a cross. For those of you that haven't experienced it, it goes like this. The Bible says it is appointed unto every man to die once. It's not the fleshly death I worry about. It's the eternal one. Because until he became an advocate for my sins, until he took it to a cross to where I could be saved, until that moment happened, I'm a Gentile. I had no hope. The Bible talks about people that don't know how the word is written and and different things, and they'll be judged according to their works and different things of that nature. I don't want to risk that. I'm thankful that this word made it all the way down here to Walbash. Into Frankfurt, I'm glad it all made it all the way down here to Meadow Lane. And it can, it can be in my life so that I might know what thus says the Lord. That I can take this and say, okay, Lord, how can I be saved? How can I remove that title from my life of dead man walking? And it's in him that that title is gone. It said he'd taken it. He had taken it and nailed it to the cross. He became a dead man so I could live without the curse of that second death. Jesus Christ has those keys. So how do I walk now? I'm going to call the musicians. I told you I'm not going to take long today. Is that all right? How do I walk now? Our guests and our visitors are typically a small portion of our church. So allow me to talk to the church for just a moment. There's a chapter in Acts, the 17th chapter, where Paul had truly the preaching of a lifetime. I heard another preacher talk about it recently, and it put such pause in me that I feel like I need to share what I felt today. In chapter 17 of Acts, Paul was in Athens. I believe even my wife and some of the ladies made their way to a place called the Tomb of the Unknown God. And Paul began to preach to them and and declare who Jesus was because they worshiped a God and believed in Him and had seen the things that He had done but did not have a name for that God. And Paul began to exclaim it and he began to change a nation just preaching to them Jesus, Him crucified and glorified and us to be saved and and to be baptized and to get the Holy Ghost and to, to live a Christian life, amen? And as he began to talk about that and preach and teach that, it was over. And chapter 18 happens. And in chapter 18, the Bible says he left Athens. And he went back to a place and he began to stay with some friends. And he stayed with them because he did the same thing they did. The Bible says that Paul was a tent maker. Did you know Paul was a tent maker? I didn't. I've read the Bible. That part must have been a tired moment. But Paul made tense. You see, we get it twisted in life. We think that for some reason the only thing that God is allowing us to do is either work or be a minister. We think that the way he treats us is that only one of two things can happen. That either you go to work or you go to church. You don't take the things of work to church. You don't take the things of church to work. And so we typically will leave God at home or at church. He took something off of my life, which was death. But now I'm going to have to go to work even tomorrow and figure out exactly what to do with my Monday. And i got to figure out how to live this life better at 8 a.m. on a Monday and at 12 a.m. on a Tuesday or 12 p.m. on a Tuesday and, and at 3.30 when the, the door is done and the bells ring and it's time to go home, how do I treat him on a Wednesday? And and what do I do with God? Paul, the tent maker, made tents. The Bible says that he made it throughout the day and at the night he'd begin to write the word of God. That's what I have to be in this life. I can't go to work on a Monday and say, yeah, well, right now I'm an electrician, but but wait a minute because... At 4 o'clock, I've got a Bible study, so I'm going to sit and tell my jokes with you guys. And then it's almost 3 o'clock, so it's time to go ahead and get the tools put back in the toolbox. Go ahead and move them over, find places to set them, because now I have to go and get my preacher hat on. I've got a Bible study to teach, and i got people to save. Then we take our charts, and we go into a room, and we begin to teach it. And then we, we live this life for an hour, an hour and a half, and, and we give a, a weird... Maybe an, an untruth about who we might be or we go and meet and have dinner with a family that's, that's struggling and we might live a life for just a little bit that looks like we're better, like we got it all together. And then that comes down and you get to go home and then you place the Bible down and your family gets to see you exhausted, yelling, not being a good parent maybe. Hello? Is this transparent too much for you? You see we have roles in our life and if we're not wearing those roles and finding ways to make sure that we don't let something slip so far in our life when we feel like we're not that. You know what happens on Monday? It could happen tomorrow cuz I don't know. My coworker talks to me. He goes, "Brandon, I I watched you last night." I say, "I'm sorry." says i watched you preach i can't believe you're a co-worker with me i said i'm stop i don't know what you're let's just get to work and i have a choice to make is it time to bend the pipe is it time to twist the wires is it time to throw the breaker or is it time to just be who i'm supposed to be why do you live this life do you do it to make money for your 401k Do you live it because you don't think that things are going to just be spinning downhill at some point, someday? Or do I live it because one day I hope and pray that I don't have the second death because I spent too much time investing in the things that weren't of God? Because I spent too much time not talking about it. So Friday happens, and I get to the end of my week, and maybe I haven't felt good. Maybe Wednesday I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) Maybe I wasn't here. Hello. I'll quit. I won't, I won't meddle. But Friday happened just this past week, and we're having the opportunity. We're a small company, but somehow God has blessed our company, and I think it's because of godly men. One day, I'll bring my, my co-worker. I'll try not to talk about him when he's here, but I love the man. I love his family. and He knows every day when I go to work, it's it's to do a good job for the company. Don't get it wrong. It's not that I'm not focused on my job, but if this was what I was focused on all the time with everything in me, I'd be doing it wrong. I've got to keep that the main thing. There was a dead man that walked for me. So one day that I might live and have life and I might share it for these coworkers. See, you guys don't get it. You will, but not yet. If you can grasp this concept, you have access to a thousand people that are just like you. When you're in high school, I had 1,300 young people. And when I graduated, I had so many that said, Brandon, you were different. I said, how so? I man, I didn't fit in with any of the crowds. Definitely not the jocks. I can't keep up. We call it newcomer blood. We can't run. I couldn't throw. I'd hit a shed. We had a shed back when I was growing up, and that thing was more dented than the moon. I mean, it was just hit by everything I'd throw at it. My dad would come out yelling at us, bless his heart, because we would just bang. Them. It sounded like a massive bass drum. Boom, boom. I didn't fit in with the jocks. I didn't fit in with the nerds either. I wasn't smart enough. I didn't, I didn't gel with those guys. And the band kids were cool. You know, I tried my best with them. I was a trumpet player, so jazz was cool. But a lot of them kids were getting into things that I didn't want to get into. I went to college and found out how bad it really was and quit. Because I didn't want to live that life. Musician really had two places to go, either a bar or a cruise ship. (laughs) One day I'll reflect on this and think, what was I thinking when I was up here? But Not today, bless God. Not today. So Friday I walked into the Amazon where we had the opportunity to talk with this guy named Jacob. We were trying to show a few other guys that are gonna be working with us on this project. We have fans, we're tightening down. It sounds so simple and stupid when you think of what you do with your day and what you do with your life and your job. Those of you that might be at factories, it might seem dead end. Well then stop focusing on the work and focus on the people. And so I was there and, and these guys constantly mess with me because they say, Well, Brandon, you've got that million dollar smile. You know how to talk to people. And it's like, Well, I've I've tried to focus my efforts on people, not things. The things come easy to me. I'm natural. I I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat feel like I'm gifted or I've at least learned. I think talent sometimes might be overrated because of how hard you work. You can form talent. And I feel talented in my ability to work with my hands, and I pray one day that never leaves me. I, I'm sure strength as I get older, you know, and tendons and different things that naturally will affect me will, will come into play. But I took the time, and my coworker began to tell me about this Jacob guy that we were dealing with. He was the plant manager. And Jacob was um, very nice, quiet. He would look out, make sure that as as carts would come by, we'd stand off to a certain side. It's extremely strict there to where there's some people that are called ambassadors. You're not supposed to talk to them. They come over from another country literally just to work at Amazon. If they ever get fired or quit that, they have to go back home. And so they work specifically for them, and we're told you can't talk to them. Okay, fine, I'll honor that. But this guy's not from there. And so as we began to walk and leave the plan, I looked at Jacob, and I said, hey, bud, and we're standing at the back, and I see Anthony leading the other guys, and I'm just dropping back with Jacob. Just give me five minutes of your life, man. This is, might be what separates me just a little bit in my life, because I couldn't care about fans, conveyor belts, everybody getting their package. It sounds stupid when you talk about it, doesn't it? So I said, Jacob, how long you been here? He says, since the plant opened, man, 2018. I said, wonderful, two to three years, that's that's fantastic. I said, where'd you come from, you know, before that? Have you, another factory? He said, no, man, I'm from Illinois, I'm about five hours away, my kids were very upset when we moved over this way. I said, man, that's that's brutal, how, how many kids you got, how old are they? He said, well, my one's about to turn two tomorrow, actually, the other one's seven, and the, the third one's ten, and I said, man, ten years old, so seven years old, so probably already started school, probably had, man, that, that's tough, you know, to leave all that and to come here, so... Do you even have any people you hang out with? You know, where are you in life? He goes, Man, I just I work a lot, but you know, we're, we're getting used to it. We live here and, uh, you know, we, we work here and this, that, and the other, and begin to get into his life. And I realized at that moment, it wasn't about the electrical trade, it wasn't about tightening fans, it wasn't about watching out for people driving by. It was about me and Jacob. And if I could do anything just for a moment, I could hopefully take the label of dead man and begin to erase just for a moment. Just for a moment. We walked out of the place and I walked up to Anthony, my co worker, and, and my boss, and, and uh, he said, Well, what'd you think? I said, Well, Jacob's pretty cool. He's got the three kids and he's got, you know, just moved here and this, that, and the other. And he just looks at me and goes, What in the world? What? How, how'd you figure that out? When did you talk to him? And I said, On the way out. So he walks over to these other guys. One of them's a salesman. He goes, You will not even believe this guy. And it wasn't about the sale. It wasn't about even making connection for the purpose of work. But if he's going to make me a tent maker, if he's going to allow me to be an electrician for just a moment, then I'm going to do my job while I'm at my job. Then I'm going to take my moment to make an impact with him. That's who I want to be with, God. If you'd stand with me. had the opportunity just yesterday we had a family member that passed away an aunt of mine we don't really talk about it much as a family we're not that type to to bring it up i guess but we were up north yesterday dealing with funeral and different things and we ran across the guy his name eludes me my brothers probably got it down we're the same weirdos we walked up next to this guy. In our family, we have a lot of cops and sheriffs and different things of that nature on my dad's side. And as we're up there, we're getting a processional, and every single one of them officers standing at attention at every crossroad, you'll see it. It felt like we were burying a king. It was unbelievable to see the procession. We get there, and at the end, we go up and talk to a guy and say, you know, I, I heard a Corvette go down the road as we're dealing with the funeral, and I looked, at him and I said, hey, let's roll out. Like, all of a sudden, I'm going to do a ride-along with this guy and go arrest somebody. He started talking. He said, no, man, we don't do that unless they're, like, going 20 over. I said, wait a minute. So there's a number. Where are we safe? Where are we okay? So he began to tell me. He said, yeah, just this past week, we were trying to chase this Mercedes, and I was doing it, they govern these things at 150. And at that point, my my cousin spoke up, Casey, and he's a sheriff up in Elkhart County. He goes, yeah, 151 is what ours is governed at. He said, at 150, the Mercedes was pulling away. I said, well, what do you do, radio in? He goes, no, you just turn the lights off and turn around and quit. He goes, they keep track of how fast you're going. I said, well, that's incredible. What in the world? He goes, this is crazy. I got I to gotta get in with you guys. Let's have some fun. And where do you work? He said, oh, Tippecanoe in Clinton County. I was in Elkhart. This man sits on State Road 28. <laughs> Hear me now. We're getting into a season where we reflect on him. But if I don't keep him as the main thing, if I don't keep that moment where I say, okay, God, you died for me. You gave all for me, Lord. Help me to reach this man. So I begin to ask him, how do you know us? Why are you here? Is it because of Casey? He said, no. Brad, your cousin, I went to school with him. We grew up together. So where do you live? He said, Flora, you ever heard of it? I said, absolutely. I work there. I know it well. We live like 15 minutes from there. See, God's going to put people in your life. He's going to give you opportunity to do what He had planned all along, that lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's going to allow you to get to a place. If you'll just take Him to work with you, when the tools are strapped on, when all of life is right there, if you'll just remember to take Him. Well, I don't have room for them. I don't have arms. Okay, just hide them. Hide them in your heart. Well, I don't know where to, where to put them. I don't know when to talk about them. It's all right. That time will come. It's okay. That time's going to come. You're going to get to a place where you're going to get to the opportunity because God's going to allow your coworkers' lives to be a mess. It doesn't take much. Well, I work in a Christian school. That's all right. It's all right. There's more we can learn. And so in the midst of it all, don't forget to take God. Now's the time, our world falling apart, that you can remove that label from not only your life, but from somebody else's by bringing them to church, by sharing with them, this is who he is. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed, I'm going to open up this altar to two different groups of people. The first one is the ones that matter the most to me, and that's those of you that don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you've been baptized, but you haven't got the Holy Ghost yet, or maybe nothing's happened yet. We're going to pray and I want to open up these altars to you and I want to ask you to come forward and just lift your hands because there's people in this place that want to see you get closer to God. They want to see that that label erased from you. They want to see God begin to be moved on your life. And so I'm going to call those of you to come as well as those of you that just want God to put people in your life that you can touch. Some of us need for God to open our eyes and remember that we're here for a purpose I'm not just a tent maker. I'm not just an electrician, but I'm a man of God. And every day I need to be preaching about God. Every day I need to be watching and loving the way He loves and acting the way He acts. With no one looking around, I wonder, those of you that might need something from God today, maybe you need a deeper relationship or maybe you need Him to use you. Why don't you make your way up front and with hands lifted, why don't you begin to ask God for what you need? We'll come and pray with you, but why don't you take a moment to just say, God, I'm here. Use me, Lord. Let me meet someone in my neighborhood, God, that I might witness to them. That's it. As they begin to pray, why doesn't the church just fall in behind and begin to pray with each other? Why don't we take a moment to reach his throne? Hallelujah!
1: Hallelujah! That's it that's it we're one body of christ let's come pray for each other